Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. As you know, On the Money is presented by Embassy National Bank, and we are a nationally chartered financial institution, and our deposits are insured by the FDIC. On this show, we discuss topics designed to help you and small businesses succeed, because at the bank, we're proud of how we help small business. I'm your host, Joe Moss, the president at the bank, and welcome to the glorious Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the beautiful Sonesta Gwinnett Place Hotel. We're at uh, I-85 in Pleasant Hill, very, very comfortable setting. Today, we're going to talk about residential mortgage lending, and to do that, we have our very own Thomas Hogan with us today, who is the senior vice president in charge of residential mortgage lending at Embassy National Bank. So, Thomas, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm glad we can uh, talk about this. And um, just so everybody knows, uh, Thomas, how long you've been doing residential mortgages? August 2nd, 1998. <laughs> so we think that uh, Thomas has some experience in this. I've been around, yeah. Yeah, so um, very knowledgeable, very helpful uh, and uh, his department and is very, very responsive as well. So we've got a lot of stuff we want to talk about today, and then we've got a little bit of a actual um, workshop we're going to do toward the end with our producer here. But um, Thomas, let's talk about the state of the industry. Let's talk, just first let's talk about the uh, economy, kind of what you're hearing and seeing about uh, home selling and time on the market, those kinds of things. Well, you know, we um, being a federally chartered bank, we're able to make mortgage loans in all 50 states. Um, I have, uh, obviously, a, a lot more conversations about the state of the economy here in the Atlanta metropolitan area. Uh, the 18-county area, it's hard to keep a house um, on the market. Um, the demand is so high, which seems to be running a little contrary to uh, the state of the economy as a whole, where... Uh, post-election, there was a great deal of um, optimism about uh, reduction in um, regulatory requirements and other things that might spur growth and you know, economic activity. We're seeing kind of a, um, a pullback from that a bit, and what it's resulting in is um, a bit of a journey of, uh, of investor funds going back over into bonds from stocks or equities, and we're seeing a little bit of an easing of rates where we were had a fairly high certainty of increased rates throughout the course of 2017. We're just seeing much more of a, um, uh, of a stabilization uh, on the 30-year fixed uh, at or slightly below 4%. And on the 15-year fixed, um, you know, at or right around three and a quarter. Um, right. Of course, APR and pricing adjustment factors depend on a number of things that involve the specific mortgage strategy for the borrower, but as a, you know, as sort of a target, that's that. And meanwhile, we've had uh, two, uh, two rate increases, um, short-term rate increases. So the prime has gone from three and a half all up to four. Uh, people don't think that's necessarily a big deal, but it's had a lot of impact on small business so far. 
And if you look at the yield curve, it's becoming a little bit inverted, uh, which it typically means that the economy is starting to slow again. Yeah. So, um, and we have not seen hardly any growth in GDP. Um, Atlanta seems to be doing okay. Southeast seems to be doing okay. But in total, things are kind of eh. You know, everybody that I speak to on a daily basis in my personal and professional life is uh, gainfully employed, optimistic about the future, uh, making money, having an enjoyable time with their family. And those things are not really indicative of a slowdown or, you know, negative economic activity. So I can certainly tell you that uh, in the Southeast and probably Atlanta in particular, um, the economy is doing well. Yeah. Well, um, as you know, Thomas, I see a lot of these numbers, too, from the construction lending we do. And um, you hit it right on the nail. Um, In my neighborhood alone, we've had four houses go on the market within the last month. They all had offers within a day. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. If you're in the right market at the right price range, you'll sell your house. Uh, If you're a buyer, you better be ready. So later on the show, we're going to talk about pre-qualification and the big benefit of that. Because like I said, if you want a house, you better be ready. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about Embassy National Bank and where, where you are with our residential mortgage product. Because um, the last time we were on the show, we were kind of just getting out of the, out of the gates. That was uh, 16, early 2016. So We've made, I think we've made a lot of progress since then. So why don't you fill everybody in? We have. I'm, uh, I'm very happy to report that the state of our mortgage uh, department is very, very good. We are uh, making the conversion to being a direct lender for all of our residential mortgage products that are conventional, uh, jumbo, uh, up and coming, our FHA products. Uh, we are um, not shy about the business model that we've decided to pursue. Uh, a lot of investors, a lot of banks will pursue for compliance and quality control purposes, uh, offering the loan product of one or two investors so that they can really keep track of things um, as things, I guess, might get a little out of control for them. Uh, we've taken more of an entrepreneurial approach uh, where we have off- we're offering the loan products of seven or eight investors, which are, uh, it's proving uh, with our low margin, it's really proving uh, something that um, our uh, customers are very much responding to because we are able to really provide um, a wide range of really good solutions for uh, people coming to us with a whole variety of different needs. And in fact, that's, as you know, one of the niches we think we have found is that if you're dealing with a Wells Fargo mortgage guy or a SunTrust mortgage guy, you're going to get the Wells Fargo SunTrust product. Mm -hmm. Uh, In our particular case, we're going to make sure you're getting into the right product with the right rate. And um, you... uh, you know, you're still going to get all the service, still going to get the best rate, but you're going to be in the right product. You know, I always said, uh, you know, would you rather go to a travel agent to have the opportunity to fly, to, to get a, uh, a plane ticket on a variety of different planes going from here to Santa Fe, New Mexico, or would you uh, rather just walk into um, one of the major carriers and have only one option on how to get there? And uh, what we've done is imagine then if that one carrier opened up a travel agency inside of it. And you now have the opportunity to get the very, very best of what it is that has to offer, but you also have the option to um, get, you have the option to have alternatives to being able to provide whatever the solution is that you need um, under the same roof. And um, 
talk about some of your recent wins, not in terms of names, et cetera, but in terms of time and, you know, the, the application process, the, the time it took, um, happiness of the customer after the fact, the quality of the product. Why don't you walk through some of those? Uh, that's an impressive story. Yeah, you know, we really are um, applauding the process that we've put together. Um, in a traditional uh, mortgage company, uh, there are a couple of things that we think that adversely affect the customer experience. So one of them, uh, contrary to public opinion um, or common or um, popular opinion, uh, is that it would benefit the the borrower by having uh, the loan officer involved in their file from start to finish. Uh, what we've uh, seen is by making a significant investment in our personnel, both in the processing side, but also in the closing side, where we've got uh, David Carr is. Um, 18 years experience processing and processing management for his entire career. Uh, what, we, what we've seen is, is that getting a loan file in a condition where we can submit that loan file to processing uh, by having a really deeply qualified um, file, um, David's able to get that deal uh, through the underwriting process very, very quickly. Uh, it's, yeah. not, it's not uncommon for us to see um, a uh, a refinance loan get a clear to close from our underwriters in um, seven nine eleven days. I mean, it's, yeah, and, it's and, remarkable. And the value of having a real connected lender with a someone like Dave David is there's it's very fluid. Uh, it is. You, you don't feel like you're being handed off. You feel like you're being assisted. No, we've we we actually um, we we tell the we tell the borrowers. That you know, we approach this from a team standpoint. Uh, this is not a loan officer is king environment where everybody else then is a, a small guy helping um, that loan officer get that deal through the process. Um, our loan officers are you know 12, 15, 16 years experience themselves, um, and they're handing that file off to somebody who's 17, 18 years experienced. Uh, everybody knows how to do their job, and there's a great deal of respect where we are. Um, there's a great deal of competency, and you can see that in the way that people, um, the way that the loan officers are getting the deals into processing and getting those deals closed um, uh, in a very efficient manner. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about changes in uh, underwriting as a result of Dodd-Frank getting put in place. There was massive hysteria in the market about how Dodd-Frank was going to change everything. It's quite frankly, all I see coming out of it is a little bit better closing statement. Yeah. But everything else is still kind of the same. You know, we, we put a lot of, uh, in having the, the, I guess, the liberty uh, of being able to create the mortgage division at the bank at a time when all of those regulations were fully enforced and people were really not, um, uh, people were still kind of scared of them, frankly. Uh, it really had us build our mortgage division uh, in a way where we've got some very significant quality control um, waypoints throughout our process. And I can tell you it's only made our process better. I mean, I totally understand that there is um, uh, that there are draconian rules when sometimes compliance um, measures are not met. Uh, there can be steep fines and that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that it is very prohibitive for the small business owner to be in the mortgage business right now because of the burden that compliance has. Uh, but for uh, a process like ours, it has made us stronger. And a lot of people are talking about how wonderful it would be if Dodd-Frank were repealed or if other measures were taken off the table. And I can tell you that, you know, at Embassy National Bank, we have, um, we've got a process and it works. 
And taking away regulatory requirements is not going to phase us um, at all. Right. And on top of that, we are, you mentioned it, we are a nationally chartered bank. Mm -hmm. And that gives us um, a lot of flexibility um, in terms of who we have to report to with our compliance. And um, I'm seeing the benefits of that. Uh, go forth to the customer, but also to the mortgage lender mm -hmm. um, and to our product. So we, we focus on getting it right, and we have one group we've got to report to with that, and it makes for a much cleaner process. Now, one thing that Dodd-Frank did get away from was getting people to uh, get mortgages in people's hands that had no business getting a mortgage, mm -hmm. um, and it took away very exorbitant compensation that may have gone into a mortgage lender, but we've, we've not been down that road at all at Embassy, so we don't have to worry about any of that. No, and, and I'll tell you, you know, the loan officers that have joined our team have had careers where they've been with companies that have not been exorbitant fee earners and, and, and radical product deliverers and that sort of thing. I mean, the group that we actually have have kind of gravitated to the bank um, with level head and with a sort of a, a financial planning acumen with regard to trying to understand what's best for the customer. Yeah, and I see it all the time in your offices, uh, lender uh, customers coming in and um, they're getting a lot of help on top of the fact they're getting a mortgage, mm -hmm. which is very, very rewarding for me to see. Well, it's the way we do business. I mean, I spent, um, I spent you know, three or four years um, uh, with Buckhead Financial as a financial planner with regard to investment advisory and insurance and what have you. And um, I take a lot of pride in being able to sit down with folks and really talk through, like, what are they really doing? And, you know, can they afford a 15-year mortgage? And, you know, why, why are they requesting an adjustable rate mortgage at this time? And, you know, those sorts of things, I think sometimes catch people off guard because our society is so uh, customer is always right uh, kind of uh, attitude. And, you know, we had a presentation, a two-hour presentation this morning uh, directly from uh, employees at the Veterans Administration uh, down in Decatur. And they came in and they were talking about the VA loan program. And they said that, um, I mean, the, the mantra all the way through the course of their presentation was, you know, they worry about the veteran first. You know, they've got their guidelines. There are uh, ways that they can um, offer people concessions for uh, the, pro the process in order to make sure uh, but they said, you know, the bottom line is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to do what's right for the uh, the veteran first as a mm -hmm. primary situation. You know, at Embassy National Bank, we're trying to do, you know, we've got kind of a, du the only duality that we have, number one, is to protect the bank against risk, mm -hmm. period. Uh, but then beyond that very fundamental, um, you know, concept, you know, we're trying to do what's right for the borrower first. You know, at, we the bank makes a margin on its deals. Uh, we're a for-profit business. We've got a, 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 you know, a reasonable to low mar margin. Uh, we're certainly not going to make our uh, shareholders rich overnight with the success of the mortgage department. But that's part of the philosophy that we've all bought into is that mm -hmm. this is a marathon and that we're really building something that's going to be here long term. And that's going to come from being able to, I mean, the only people that we've ever been in competition with and been sort of equal on par with rate and fees are a couple of the credit unions. You know, and they've got substantial, they've got substantial weight to be, to be a, as inexpensive as a financial institution can possibly and be. And they have a lot of flexibility in terms of what they can, the kind of mortgage they can write. But one thing, um, going back to what you said, making sure the customer's in the right product, that's one of the good things about the way you set up the, uh, our program is that at some of the larger 
places, they may be saying, all right, we've got a pro flavor of the month kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you may find yourself forced into an adjustable, Yeah, but we don't do that. No, gosh, we, we need to make sure that they're, they're going to be in the right product. We have an yeah. obligation to make sure that you're in the right product. Yeah. Our, our loan officers get compensated the same, regardless of which program you choose. And then on the uh, small business side, I think we've run into a couple of uh, individuals who uh, basically live off K ones mm-hmm. and capital gains and you and that's a tough thing to underwrite. You know, in fact, it's uh, it's uh, important to note, especially to this audience, that uh, Freddie Mac uh, has has had a reputation in the past of allowing for us to process mortgage loans with one year of business tax returns. Uh, Fannie Mae has always been a two year type shop. Uh, with the the continued uh, year after year in and year out um, improvements that the automated underwriting engines have made, Fannie Mae. Um, was starting to show us uh, the requirement of only one year's worth of tax returns, uh, but they've kind of backed off of it a little bit. In fact, Freddie Mac came out earlier this year and issued a memo that stated that if you've been in business for less than five years as a self-employed person, you will be required to provide the two years worth of tax returns. Uh, However, for those folks that have been self-employed for longer than five years, they still will recognize that and give you the option to be able to document the income with a one year's worth of business tax returns. And you're good at <laughs> you're good at, at uh, navigating that minefield for people. I've yeah. been watching you do it. So you know, one of the things I just can't ever understand is how uh, you know if my job is to if there's only there are only a couple of ways to um, qualify someone's income off of a business tax return, regardless what's on there. There are rules for declining income. There are rules for one time income that's not recurring. I mean, there are rules for all these things, and it seems like uh, that's the one class that um, at uh, at Mortgage College that everyone seems to duck out on. So uh, we're we're proud to we're, you know we've no, got, and that's our market too. Yeah, we, small business person. We've got a lot of pride in being able to provide people with good real mortgage um, advice. Let's talk about pitfalls, and this is going to lead us into the next segment. But um, if, I'm, if I'm out there shopping for a mortgage, mm-hmm. what kind of things? Do I need to try to stay away from buying a car? <laughs> uh, don't buy a car and don't open up um, a new credit card and don't go put a down payment on a whole new furniture <laughs> set of furniture. Try to keep it clean for a while. Yeah, right? I mean, uh, keep me a clear lane uh, between here and the finish uh, before you go uh, crazy and start, you know, creating a, a more sophisticated financial picture of who you are than <laughs> who you are today, you know? But in terms of things I may hear from different mortgage companies, what are some of the things that they need to have their ears open about? You know, uh, one of the things that we, uh, I think we're going to talk about uh, coming up is the nature of a, the, the prequalification. You know, it's um, something that is um, uh, something that should be taken very seriously by the, the prospective borrower. Um, if your mortgage um, company is asking you for, um, you know, an application and suggesting that you are um, eligible for um, a pre-qualification letter, uh, you should be suspicious because uh, there are lots of things that can happen when they analyze your pay stubs. They can, I mean, if they see that you've got um, a child support payment that's taken out, or if you've got other, obli- if you've got a 401k loan that's uh, being paid back. I mean, these things actually have to be uh, evaluated um, as part of the approval process. And if they don't get caught by your loan officer, they're going to get caught by underwriting. Right. And it's uh, it's very very important. Uh, you know, one of the lar- one of the big things that has become an issue over the past 
year and a half is uh, large deposits in your account. Um, you know, if you have a deposit in your accounts where you're providing your bank statements to show that you've got the funds necessary to close the loan, pay closing costs, and that you'll have some reserves left over, um, if you've got large deposits in those accounts that are greater than your monthly income, you're going to have to explain them. But you're also going to have to source where, in the, where that money came from. And that daisy chain of documenting the source of assets can be cumbersome. It can be um, invasive. It can be very frustrating, and it can ruin a deal. And there's <laughs> um, and there's stuff that you may or may not tell the lender up front that may may cause the underwriter to but to uh, to to get nervous. But to talk about that process. So what you're saying is that if I go to a mortgage lender and he says, "Joe, great news, you're pre-approved." <laughs> now I know better. Yeah. But um, the guy on the street may think, "Hey, I'm pre-approved." Yeah. But still, all that has got to go to the underwriter. The underwriter's got to put it yeah. together in their package. Everybody does this, not just embassy. Everybody's got to go through this. They're going to put together the package. They're going to underwrite. They're going to ask a 1,000 questions. And you may or may not be pre-approved. You know, I um, uh, we don't use the word approval um, at Embassy National Bank. And we don't do it on purpose because... Um, your loan is not approved when you get your uh, automated findings. Your loan is not approved when your file is submitted to underwriting. It is only approved after the underwriter has received all the documents that he or she needs to give your file a clear for closing. Clear for closing. That mm -hmm. is the uh, term that is used in the industry it is. across the board. That's when you get approved. That's, that's, when you're, that's when your file is approved and not a moment before that. All right. So if there's someone's out there shopping for a house... Mm -hmm. How far in the process, you know, we, we talked about how you got to be ready. So uh, you shouldn't just have a pre-qual done. Uh, anybody can write that letter for you. How deep in the process should you go? Well, you know, the way I tell people is, you know, the first thing you should do is you should have an idea of kind of what it is that you feel like you might be looking for. And that really is sort of the gut feeling of understanding kind of what it is that you've been paying for your housing expense currently. And coming up with a uh, an interpretation of what that might mean in your borrowing power. Uh, so if that means that you're looking at a home that is a $275,000 purchase price uh, with a $250,000 loan, and you've gone into the amortization calculators on the um, uh, on the computer on the internet, and you've uh, figured out the, what the payment might be, well, the first thing I'm going to do is kind of make sure that that uh, expectation has been set properly because I need to make sure that you're aware that you're also going to have to pay a home insurance premium. Right. You're also going to have to pay property taxes. Right. You might have a homeowner's association right. fee. And depending on how much money you put down, you might have to deal with mortgage insurance. Right. So there are um, there's a lot that goes into even beginning the the concept of thinking about how you're going to approach it. You know, we at, you know at, at Embassy National Bank, we actually invite people to come in for consultations to make sure that they start the process um, correctly. Yeah. And one thing that we would do on emb at embassy, and this is across the board, anytime a borrower, whether you're a small business, whether you're mortgage or whatever, anytime a small bit, anytime you get a piece of paper from embassy, you're, you can bank on that letter. You can. There's a lot of folks that uh, will get term sheets on the, on the commercial side. No one can back up the term sheet. Uh, the same with the, um, pre-approval letter from a mortgage company. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, we ran into that the other day where a gentleman came in and said, I've been pre-approved for this amount of mortgage, so therefore, uh, let me build this house at 
this amount of money because I've been pre-approved on the takeout. And we kind of scratched our heads and went, whoa, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. You dug into the numbers, and that pre-approval letter was not worth the paper it was written on. It wasn't. His debt ratio was too high. Yeah. All right. We're going to uh, – our producer, Mike Salmon, has volunteered for this. And so we're going to go through a prequal right now on the air. So, uh, Mike, are you there? I'm here. Okay. So I'm going to leave it with uh, Mike and Tom, and let's go through this. Yeah, I, th- I think in, in protecting some of Mike's personal information, we won't go too deeply into the details. But I think I, you know, what I wanted to give folks an idea to, to hear was the nature of the conversation in a more natural form for how it actually goes. So uh, before we even start, I want to let you know that there's no question that you can or can't ask that is uh, you know, off the table, frankly. Um, we are... Um, you know, a, a, a really good mortgage operation, uh, and we're uh, capable of satisfying a lot of needs. And um, so uh, before we even get started, um, or as we get started, rather, have you thought about um, how much you want to pay each month for your um, for your housing? Yes. Okay. And I like to pay less than I'm paying in rent right now because the rent these days is unbelievable. Oh, I, know. I did a short sale on my condo, my townhouse, about seven years ago. Kind of when the bubble burst. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. my, my home was worth twice as much as what I, half as what, half of what I was paying for it. Right. Uh, so I was advised <laughs> to do a short sale, which I did. Uh, now, seven years later, credit's back up. Everything is good. And I've been renting. And now uh, I just renewed for one more year, but I want to go ahead and, and now buy. Okay. So I need to pre qualify. So how much are you paying in rent currently? $1,300 a month. Okay. So, what we would do, and if you're, if you, if I understand you correctly, you want to kind of stay at or below yes. that, that number. Yes. So well, I, I, I know people that can buy, because sure. you can buy a fairly good size home for less than that in a mortgage. Sure. Oh, yeah. From a, uh, from a percentage standpoint, though, uh, I know that you're not uh, planning to buy for a short period, but when you are ready to, to buy, how much, what percentage do you think against the purchase price are you thinking that you'll be able to put down as a down payment? I was told these days, and, and again, you're the one to ask, but uh, you know the, 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 that it's been a lot t- that because since the housing bur- bubble burst that, that you now you're expected to put 10 to 20 20 percent down. Okay, none of that's uh, none of that's true. Okay, okay, that's just you know that's what you know. But uh, are you are you a veteran by chance? No. Okay. But I you know but but 10 percent. Okay. So uh, I'll tell you a couple things that are very interesting. Uh, number one, uh, the interest rates for FHA loans. Uh, are lower than the interest rates for conventional loans. Um, some investors will charge the same rate for both products, but that's just because they're making more money themselves on the FHA loans. We actually have a constant margin against our product line, so we actually offer that lower interest rate for the FHA product. Let me jump in and say, you got to draw the difference here between FHA and conventional. Well, the FHA product is a government-backed mortgage product, it is a function of the Housing and Urban Development Department of the, of the federal government. The, really, the only difference is when uh, comparing the two, um, an FHA loan is going to have a funding fee uh, to close on it. Uh, back in the old days, it was for the, the lower credit score type people. Um, these days, it's actually for um, all people because the interest rate margin is different from the conventional and the monthly mortgage insurance premiums uh, are less than conventional. When a person is putting money down, though, on an FHA loan, in the old days, it was thought that the mortgage insurance premiums stayed on an FHA loan forever. And one of the, one of the keys about being able to get into a, a mortgage is you want the, the mortgage insurance premiums to eventually fall off, which they will 
once you get a, a, to the point where you've got a 20% equity position in your home. So as you pay down your mortgage and it's increasing in value, eventually you'll get there. Um, the truth is that with FHA loans, uh, for those 10% and less down payments, that's true. The FHA mortgage insurance does stay on for the life of the loan. However, when you do put 10% down, it doesn't. And a lot of people don't know that. So in the event that we're comparing apples to apples, where you've got this, uh, the funding fee, we would compare that against the interest rate expense and the mortgage insurance premiums on a monthly basis. But I would say that the numbers that I've been running over the course of the past couple of months, um, I would say more than nine times out of 10, the FHA loan product for a 10% down payment has been the way to go. Uh, to give you an idea, um, if the conventional uh, 30-year fixed rate uh, uh, fixed rate for um, uh, a conventional loan were maybe four and an eighth today, uh, I can probably guarantee you that that uh, the FHA uh, interest rate would probably be 4.75 or 4.625. It's often a half a point lower, which creates a phenomenal I mean, amount more in, three buy, point, in, in three, buying power. Three points. Point three seven five. Yeah. Okay. So you said the conventional was four and an eighth, so the FHA would be uh, three and a, three point seven five, three okay. and yeah. three point six two five. So an advantage to the FHA program. There really is, and a lot of people, um, you know. But we, you go back to what you said, though. The conventional lender may not tell you that differential rate. Well, it's not a matter of it being, you know, when we use conventional, we're talking about the loan product type, right? Um, a lot of banks, a lot of mortgage companies, give you maybe 4.125 for both, where they might make a reasonable margin on a conventional loan, but they're making a killing on the FHA That's loan. That's my point. Yeah. Be careful with that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So 10% down, $1,300 payment or less. In the next year, because I, I got one more, you know, I've just renewed my my rent so uh, for one more year. In that next year, from what I've heard on the show already, mm -hmm. don't go buying a car. Don't well, be opening up credit cards. Uh, what you ought to do is you ought to come in and see me. Okay. Because let's talk about how much money you earn and what your current debt load is and what you're trying to buy and what your debt ratio can look like. Because you might perfectly well be able to buy a car and be able to still have a debt ratio that meets the underwriting guidelines. In my case, I don't plan to buy a car, but I do have a car payment. And, and we'll have this conversation, yeah. obviously, that, that pertains to me. But should I pay my car off? I don't see. Does that help any? I mean, it helps you because you're going to save the interest from from your car loan. Okay. So that I mean, again, but, a lot of what we do is the is, is about the financial planning aspect of what you're trying to accomplish. But you're going to eat into that cash that you need for the potential down payment. That's right. That's what I was going to say. And and you know, when we close loans for when we process loans for more marginally credit score uh, borrowers, not necessarily you clearly, but those folks need those compensating factors on. As a general rule, we want for borrowers to have cash in the bank when we're getting that automated approval because it's going to see that borrower as being a stronger borrower. Okay, we got some parameters here. I got my handy-dandy 12C put up. So are you going to try to calculate a mortgage that yeah. he could do? Okay. Uh, so well, before we get there, let's let's say that he's talking about a $1,300 a month uh, uh, payment. We're going to probably... We're going to probably think that maybe that uh, home insurance policy for this uh, house is probably going to be about $75 a month because it's okay. going to be a single-family home. Townhome or single-family home? Single-family. Okay, so no HOA, not, not in a neighborhood. Okay, that's good. Uh, we're probably going to say that the property taxes on this house are probably going to be about maybe 200 bucks a month. Okay. So let's uh, let's go ahead and, and let's, let's say the mortgage insurance premium for this house is probably going to be another $75 a month. So let's go ahead and take that $1,350 and let's back out $350 of it. Okay. I so we're $1,000. $950. Put that in as a payment. 
over 360 periods. Okay. And give me, uh, let's use an interest rate of 3.75 and let me know what that um, value is. You know, one of the things that we have uh, that we've seen a lot of is automation in the mortgage industry. One thing that I wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of is that um, mortgage companies are being offered a way of processing loans uh, with Fannie Mae where the employment um, and the income and the assets for the borrower can actually be verified through an automated process. The idea is to limit the number of documents that the borrower has to bring to the, t- you know, bring to the, um, to the mortgage company. But uh, at the end of the day, we're seeing that that's going to take a while to roll out. Uh, it's, the, it's the product that we're seeing uh, most popularly um, uh, marketed uh, as the, the rocket mortgage. Uh, because uh, it has the prospect of being able to be a very fast way of processing a loan. The um, uh, Fannie Mae is partnered with the work number. So if the company um, and the banks that the borrower works for and works with subscribe to the work number, uh, then by uh, going into a particular portal, we can put in the borrower's information and it can check on um, asset account balances. It can check on employment verification and also uh, pay history. So that's called uh, day one certainty. And that's something that we also have available through our investors um, at the bank. So the number that, um, that Joe uh, was able to tabulate is about $215,000. So what we would do is we would say the 215, and since you're putting 10% down, we would div- obviously divide that by 0.9, giving us a, a purchase price of right around uh, what, Joe? 239. 239, so let's just say 240. So I guess the first thing that I would do if we were in a consultation is ask you to go home and hop on the computer and, and, and poke around at the neighborhood it is that you're looking, the area that you wanted to look in, and see if you're finding homes at 240 or less in what it is that you're looking for. Because if you are, then you're really in a good spot. Um, and if you're not, then we'll have to talk about, you know, what you're... Well, I would probably do it the other way, knowing that's my number. That's the, those are the neighborhoods I'm going to look at is 240 and below. Well, okay. let me point out one other thing, because this, there's a lot of leverage here. If you say we're comfortable, and I don't know what you could qualify for, but the 1300 if you found the right house or you found the right neighborhood, you may be willing to um, actually use a 1350 monthly payment. And then knowing that you've got to pay a little extra for all these other things, but you're okay doing that because yeah. you're in the right neighborhood. And if you do that, that mortgage amount that you can afford jumps all the way to two ninety two. Yeah, just by going from a thousand a month up to thirteen fifty a month. Yeah. So there's so um, the two ninety two is that's three twenty four. That's a three hundred twenty five thousand dollar house. So you really need to look at. You say I don't want to pay more than my monthly rent. What he did was adjust it down for the other stuff you're going to have to pay for. But what I'm saying is that if you've got the income to support something higher than 1350 and you want to do that because you want to be in a particular neighborhood, you could go up to 325. I got you. I've got a question that pertains to me, but I bet you a lot of listeners, because our listeners are business owners, entrepreneurs, and so forth, mm-hmm. and they're 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 um they're own their own companies, own their own businesses, as do I. As I get my ducks in a row over the next 12 months to be prepared to take on a mortgage, do I need to show myself, do I need to pay my, because a lot of business owners, sometimes they pay, they pay themselves as they go, as they may need it or not need it. They may not pay themselves one month. Do I need to show my, because it doesn't matter what the business brings in. The business can bring in a million dollars. It's what I pay myself 
is what you're going to be grading me on. It's not my business. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, with a sub S corp and with a sub S corp and an LLC, um, obviously that, that income will flow right. through to your personal or return. An LLC just became so, an S corp. So we'll, we'll qualify your income off of your personal return. And we'll actually look for where those numbers are coming from, from the business returns. You know, we've got, you know, a, a lot of the, the bank does a lot of uh, business with a lot of hotel owners who've got large assets. They realize a lot of depreciation and we get to add depreciation back uh, into the income calculation for their qualified income number. But I need to go ahead and pay myself a set no, you don't. standard. No, 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 no. Because as a subchapter S, what's going to flow through to your personal return is the net income of the subchapter S. It's going to be reflected two ways. You're going to have a K-1 for one amount. You're going to have a W-2 for the other amount. And together, those two amounts will equal the net income of the subchapter S. So I both just, of those count. My CPA just filed my personal taxes and the taxes for the business, for the S-Corp. Right. So I, I, I need to show both documents to That's you. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Okay. Right. And let me tell you something that a lot of people, um, a, a lot of people think that they can qualify as a W-2 employee by switching their income mid-year uh, to a W-2 and providing 30 days worth of pay stubs. And that's not true. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both require that you, um, if you're the owner of the business, that you, it's okay to qualify you using W-2 income, but you've got to have a tax return where that W-2 income level has been documented as being the way that you actually do earn your, your living. And they do that to avoid the idea that, that a small business owner might decide to switch themselves to a W-2 for the purpose of qualifying for the mortgage and then go back to how it is that they regularly do business. Right. You said something we were talking a little bit before the show that because I, you know, as we, as we do the show live today, it's just after the tax deadline, April 15th, we're April, 2017. You said that uh, it's still going to take you a couple months to get the returns from the IRS. That's right. So, so for me to be, I, I could not be approved in the next month or two. And, that's true. If, if I wanted to buy right away. That's true. And I'll tell you the... Um, and that's an IRS issue, by the way. I mean, we see it on the business side all the time. We have to get a recording. Uh, I can't remember what that form is that we... The 4506. Yeah, the 4506. And it takes a while for those records to get posted. The tax transcripts. It's true. Um, you know, anytime that we're working with a borrower that is waiting uh, to file their tax returns, it's not uncommon for people to... Uh, think through how they're going to file their tax returns for the purpose of preparing for a mortgage. Um, that's just the way it goes. Um, it's important for people to know that in the mortgage process, we do get the 4506T form signed by the borrower because we do um, obtain in underwriting a copy of the tax transcripts. And because it takes about 60 days upon e-filing uh, to have those tax transcripts show up in the IRS records, there is sort of a dark time uh, immediately after filing your taxes, if they're e-filed, uh, from when we can actually then provide that tax transcript confirmation and get a final approval on a loan. Uh, you know, these are the things that should be talked about, though, honestly, in a pre-qualification interview with your loan officer when we're really talking about who you are and what you're doing and how you earn your money and uh, what's going to be required to actually get you successfully through the process. Yeah, and and I, before the show, you mentioned how the last time you got your mortgage, you just kind of walked in and showed them that you're when you breathe. I, I basically had, showed them I was breathing, and I got a mortgage. And not only that, at the closing, they wrote me a check. Wow. And we wonder why the bubble burst years yeah. ago. Not that I was one of the people that didn't pay my mortgage; I paid my mortgage. Right, right. So um, it was too easy. 
But in the, but I did ask you, I said, I heard the pendulum went the other way, where now you've got to give your firstborn and jump through a lot of hoops. And, and you're telling me that's not true as well. No, no. I, I, think, uh, I think a lot has been overstated about the inability for a borrower to be able to get a loan, uh, possibly commercial and residential. I think what we've done is just kind of come back to the fundamentals. Just plan ahead, man. <laughs> you know, you're making a huge investment. So yeah, sit down and think about what you're going to have to do and what the obligation is. You know, I want to touch on the debt ratio thing before we move too far away. I know we've got to get out of here, but yeah. uh, when we ran uh, Mike's scenario, we were talking about uh, his level of affordability being at that 240 amount. Yeah. What we'll do is we'll actually create a range from what he said that he actually wants to pay and what the mortgage insurance, will, what the mortgage process will actually make him uh, eligible for so that he can see his range and so he can kind of feel through when he's looking for homes just exactly where he does yeah, want that to be. back-end ratio, what is that range that we need to try to fit? You know, it is, uh, it, it's different from a financial planning standpoint than it is from an actual mortgage industry approval process. The standard is 45% because that is what the maximum is for a qualified mortgage. And that's where uh, the liability starts to get heavy on the investor for default. Does that include all the debts of the consumer on yeah. the 45%? All all the regular installment, uh, revolving, and other um, plus all these other costs that you put on top of the thirteen hundred. So take right. anything you owe, plus all the cost of ownership. Divide that by your gross income, and that cannot exceed forty five percent. But I will tell you that I would go underneath that. Jumbo loans, it's forty three percent. I would go underneath that. <laughs> you said that uh, also you know, that I could qualify for even more, but I had to keep in mind that's more of a down payment then because you want to hit that 10% yeah. threshold. Yeah, that's going to be more. And on top of that, you really need to think about what you want your back-end ratio to be. You know, we really, we really would wish that we could do, do, do this in an automated fashion online. And the truth is that there, there are so many moving, there are so many moving variables that there really is just a really, there's a really core need for people to get good advice on exactly what that strategy is going to look like. And that's why you can't do it by slapping somebody on the backside and they, they wear a great suit and drive a nice car. And therefore you are just so sure they're going to get pre-approved. You got to get the income statements. You got to get the asset statements. You've got to really have a conversation with the bar and understand just exactly what are they trying to accomplish. And you got to work your way to understanding whether or not their credentials are going to get them to where they need to be. And realistically, how far back do you need their tax records for? Uh, for no more than two years. Okay. Yeah. In fact, if uh, if you've been in business for more than five years and we're in a scenario where we can document your file with only one year's worth of tax returns, we would use the 2016 since you've filed it. But if you had filed an extension, we would use 2015. We would provide the underwriters with a uh, financial uh, statements for December 31st for 16 and then a year-to-date financial statement so they could see that there is no drop-off in your revenue or no unexpected increases in your expenses. All right, everybody, we're at the end, but uh, that's been great. I'm glad we went through that exercise. I'm sure that's helpful for a lot of people. Um, but anyway, that's our show for today. And let me give you some numbers. Uh, Thomas, your direct line is 770-500-1278. If you're calling from outside, uh, it's 800-560-9883. And as a, as a nationally chartered bank, you can call from anywhere in the country and we'll give you great advice because as I'd mentioned before, if you get a pre-qualification letter from us, it means something. And that goes a long way. Uh, when you get ready to buy a house, you better be ready, especially here in the Atlanta area. 
So anyway, that's our show for today. And uh, appreciate Thomas for being here. Mike, thanks for participating. This has been On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X, presented by Embassy National Bank. You can enjoy this show again or any of our other On the Money episodes anytime by visiting onthemoney.businessradiox.com. Our shows are available on iTunes as well. And you can also watch our episodes at Gwinnett Business Radio X channel on YouTube. And we're filming it today so you can sit there and look at our uh, pretty faces. So I'm Joe Moss of Embassy National Bank. And remember, give Embassy a call and let us help you through this residential mortgage landscape that's out there. It's still not easy. Uh, You need to plan ahead and do all the right things. You're making a significant lifetime decision when you're buying a home. So that's it for today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you the next time.